Welcome to the Valley Church. Our mission is to see change lives, and we hope that this relevant teaching inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Thanks for checking out the podcast and enjoy this message. Well, good morning. So yeah, um, all of our pastors, our teaching pastors, we've been sharing over the last few weeks at the Troy campus and here at the Piqua campus, a favorite passage or a life verse um, that has impacted our lives. And I was thinking about this when we were talking about putting this series together, and I thought, wow, I don't have a life verse. Maybe you have a life verse, Um, but what God has done in my life is I've gone through so many different seasons of life, right? The good, the bad, the ugly, and all the in-between, and it seems like he's just been so good to me that every time I've walked through a season of life, he's given me a passage of scripture to help me get through that. And sometimes it's been to encourage me. Sometimes the scripture has challenged me. Um, It has had played different roles in my life. So this morning, I'm going to share a passage with you that I hope brings you encouragement and hope during a hard um, season in your life or something that you're going through because it certainly did that for for me in a season of my life. We're going to be in the book of Isaiah today. And so for those of you watching online, if you want to grab your Bibles, we'll also have the scripture on the screen. And Isaiah is in the Old Testament, and uh, it's towards the end of the Old Testament, and we're going to be in chapter 43 today. Wayne and I, along with some amazing folks from this campus and from the Troy campus, we are getting ready to start the Third Valley campus. And uh, you know, we've got... Two, if you're watching online or you're with us today and you're a guest, we have this Piqua campus and we have one in Troy. We're getting ready to start one in Sydney, Ohio. And we are going to launch and have our first services in the fall of 2023. And a year ago, if you had told me that Wayne and I would be launching a new church, I would hardly have been able to believe you. A year ago, Wayne and I, we were living in South Carolina. Uh, I had been in ministry for years. Wayne had a really great job in healthcare. Um, it was warm most of the time. Uh, we we're in South Carolina. There was no snow, and we were just loving it. And so we had settled into what we thought was our forever home. We lived there for six years. And I don't know if you've thought about this forever home thing that you hear, um, you you see it a lot on social media, but forever home, we're empty nesters, we sort of picked out what we knew after many homes, what we'd like in this house, and so it was the forever home. And you can insert uh, some parentheses right there, God laughing out loud. Okay, because anytime you or I say never, forever, uh, God is, he's smiling because he's usually going to shake things up and he has another plan. But I want to be really transparent with you this morning. I want to be transparent as a follower of Christ, but especially as a pastor. Um, Our address might have said South Carolina, but... For a few of those years, we were living in the wilderness. 
Now, when I say wilderness, I do not mean like we were living in the woods, okay? We were not living in the mountains. We were not camping. Um, The wilderness, when you hear somebody say wilderness experience or walking through the wilderness, it's it's a metaphor for a season in life, for a time in life. Some people you've heard talk about a mountaintop, experience, right? They're on the mountain. Um, Everything's going great. It's just wonderful. It's the best time ever. Well, the wilderness experience is the opposite of a mountaintop experience. The wilderness experience looks like a lot of different things. And I'm going to take some time and explain to you, share with you just what it might look like. Um, For some of us, the wilderness is a foreign place. It's a place that does not feel like home to us. It's uncharted territory. We find ourselves somewhere that we've never been before in our lives. You might find um, yourself divorced. It's an uncharted territory. You never have been divorced before, or you didn't expect to be divorced. You get married, and nobody ever gets married and says, boy, I hope within this time next year I'm divorced. We're going to stay married, but maybe you have found yourself in uncharted territory. Sometimes the uncharted territory looks like uh, a financial crisis. It's come out of nowhere, um, and and you're drowning in that. For some of us, we've received a, a health diagnosis that has put us in the wilderness, or someone we love is battling a health crisis. And all of a sudden, we feel like we're walking in unchartered territory. We never expected it. Sometimes when you're walking in the wilderness, it's because you're searching for a new purpose. Everything can be going great in your life. You can be on point and on track with all of your goals, but something inside of you just feels like there's something missing and that there's a new purpose or a new thing. Some of us, we search for healing. Um, we, we, We are in the wilderness and we're searching for healing in marriages. We're searching for emotional healing, all different types of healing that we need. And for some of us, when we find ourselves wandering in the wilderness, it's because we're in a spiritual drought. Now, listen, it Some people will say, well, I've never experienced that. But most of the followers of Christ that I know and pastors will say there are times in your life when you just go through a dry season spiritually. And you might be doing all the right things, but for some reason you just feel like you're disconnected from God. And sometimes there's a reason for that, and sometimes you don't know why it's happening Some of us, we make our permanent address in the wilderness because we are far from God and we are not serving him. We are without him. You see, the wilderness, when I say that, it can look like different things for different people. Some of you 
you've been through the wilderness, you've had your own experience going through the wilderness. If you're my age, you may have gone through the wilderness several times in your life, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you, um, you're in it right now, and you're like, I didn't label it, I really didn't know what to call it, but that's exactly what I'm experiencing right now. And the one thing that I know no matter where you are on this journey, is that nobody ever wants to stay there. Nobody ever wants to stay in the wilderness. We all want to get out of it. We want to move on, and we want God to do a new thing in our life. And this morning, I want you to be encouraged, but I also want you to be aware that as we are in a wilderness experience or getting ready to go through it or coming out of it, whatever that looks like, that there's a few barriers, there's a few things that can stop us or slow us down or prevent us from experiencing a new thing that God wants to do in our lives. And we're going to go back through the scripture. We're going to go to the Old Testament and we're going to look at a people, God's chosen people, the Israelites, because they were like pros at this, okay? They were like the professional wilderness wanderers. They did a lot of wandering. They desperately, in, in several seasons of their life, they needed God to do a new thing in their lives. And so let me just give you a quick uh, backstory, a recap. If you go to the early parts of the Old Testament, the beginning of the Bible, you find that the Israelites, they've been different things through life. And in the very beginning, they find themselves that they are slaves in Egypt. Their lives are really hard. They have been enslaved by the Egyptians, and they are harsh taskmasters. They are brutal. It's like a, living in a labor camp. They have poverty, starvation, and no hope. And God, he raises up this guy called Moses, and he tells Moses, I want you, I'm getting ready to do a new thing in my people's life. They'd been in slavery to the Egyptians for many years, and he said, I'm getting ready to do a new thing in their life, and I want you to lead them out of Egypt, and I want you to take them to a land I have just for them, and we call it the promised land. But the Pharaoh, the Pharaoh of Egypt was... He was not okay with that. He was so wishy-washy. He, he fought against it. He argued against it. He, he worked them harder, and it became more brutal every time they suggested a way that they were going to leave. And then finally, he gives up, and he tells Moses, okay, all right, take them. Take them out of here. And so Moses gathers up over two million Israelites can you picture that? We're talking babies and children and pregnant moms. We're talking elderly, people with disabilities, physical um, disabilities that have trouble moving, and they have got to leave Egypt. And Pharaoh says, go. They get down the road a ways, and then Pharaoh changes his mind, and he tells his Egyptian army, he says, go after them and bring them back. Can you imagine? Now, they get to the Red Sea. And at this point, they're running from, for their lives because they know the army's coming after them. And they get to the Red Sea. And I want to explain to you about the Red Sea. So the Red Sea isn't like a creek. 
It's not a river, it's not a pond, it's not even a lake. The Red Sea was three times the size of Greece, or it is three times the, si the country of Greece. And where the Israelites needed to cross over to get to the other side, they are standing at the spot that's about 50, anywhere from 50 to 100 feet deep. And there they are. They've got the Red Sea in front of them, and they've got Pharaoh's army coming up fast behind them. And they are in an impossible situation. There is no way out. That's why God took care of it. Amen? That's why God took care of it. Because God is the God of the impossible. He literally parts the Red Sea. The scriptures tell us that the water is just heaped up on both sides and it makes a path through the Red Sea and it's dry land, not mud. Mm -mm. Completely dry ground and all the Israelites move through it. And, it, and the army is right behind them, and they decide they're just going to go right in. The sea's parted, and so Pharaoh's army goes behind them, and the sea swallows them up, and they all drown. And don't think that the Israelites ever forgot that. Don't think that for generation after generation, they continued to tell that story about how Yahweh made a way for them in the impossible. But as we're going to read in Isaiah today, we're going to find that the Israelites, we're going to fast forward in history, and we're going to see that the Israelites have found themselves once again living in a foreign country. They repeatedly sinned against God. They were worshiping false idols. They were not behaving as a holy people who had a holy God. And so when another country, Babylon, uh, decides they want to come against them in war, God allows it, and they are defeated. Many of them are killed, and everything that they've worked so hard for is plundered, it's destroyed, it's taken away from them. And they are led into captivity. Even the temple is destroyed, and it leaves them devastated. You know, when we find ourselves at a spot in life when we lose everything or the things that matter the most to us are taken away from us, we find ourselves devastated, it's really hard to have hope. And it seems like it's never going to end, especially when you're right in the middle of it. It just seems like you can't see an end to it in sight. And that's how they felt. And they lived in exile in the country of Babylon for 70 years. But then one day, God tells Isaiah, the prophet, he says, I've got something I want you to speak to them. You see, Isaiah was a prophet during the time when God's people were in captivity in Babylon, and for 500 years, God spoke to the people through prophets. The prophets had a really tough job, let me tell you. Their job was to um, speak judgment over the people. They were responsible for the moral lives and the spiritual life of the people. Their job was to prophesy. They, they spoke into the future. They told of the future, and... 
I don't know a lot about Isaiah. We don't know a lot about Isaiah, but we do know that Isaiah was married. He had a family. And we know that his wife was a prophetess. Two prophets in one house. I bet that was a lot of fun. Can you imagine? But God has a word for his people. And he chooses the prophet Isaiah to bring the word to the people. And that's what we're going to look at today. It's in Isaiah 43. We're going to start with verse 14. Let's read that. This is what the Lord says. Your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sake I will send to Babylon and bring down as fugitives all the Babylonians in the ships in which they took pride. I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's Creator, your King. Now, I love this because God starts by reminding His people of who He is. That's incredibly significant. He's reminding them of who He is, of His power and His might. How quickly we forget who God is. He's saying, I am the Redeemer. I redeemed you. He says, I am holy. I'm the Lord. I am your creator. I created everything, all of this. And he says, I am your king. And, and I like that part because they're thinking they're, that they've got a king of Babylon is who they, who they report to. And he's like, I am the king. God is telling his people that he's going to bring down their enemy. And in chapter, or verse 16, this is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea... A path through the mighty waters who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and enforce, reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Who's he talking about there? Who's he talking about? He's reminding them of the past. He's reminding them of when the Israelites were held in captivity by Pharaoh and what he did to Pharaoh's army. He's like, they lay there never to rise again. And then I find it really interesting what God says next. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. It's like after he tells them to remember the past, to remember that he made a way for them and what he did to Pharaoh's army. Then he says to them, okay, now I don't want you to think about that anymore. Why does he do that? Why does he in one breath say, look, remember the past, and then in the next breath he says, now don't think about that anymore. I believe that God is not saying, he's not saying don't learn from your past mistakes don't learn from your past failures. He's not saying, don't remember what I've brought you through. He's not telling them, forget about everything I've done for you and where you've come from. He's not saying, um, don't look at your past and share what, God, what I have done with you with others. No, I believe that God is saying, it's okay to look at what I've done for you in the past because it'll remind you it'll remind you of my faithfulness it will encourage you when you're going through a hard time and you remember what I did for you in the past it'll be an encouragement to you for what is ahead but this is what he's saying we can spend so much time focused on what is behind us 
that we miss what is ahead. Amen? So much time focused on what is behind us that we will miss what is ahead. I got a new-to-me car last year. And when Wayne uh, was out looking for it, I said, he said, well, what do you want? And I said, I just have three requests. I've never had a white car, so I'd like to have a white car this time. Um, we live in the South where it's warm and sunny. See, God's laughing. Insert God. Laugh out loud. Um, I'd like a sunroof. And, but most of all, if, if, if I want to have a backup camera. I want a backup camera. I can put the car in reverse, and immediately a picture pops up on the screen of everything that is behind me. And if I start backing up and getting too close to what's behind me, that car starts beeping, and it warns me that I'm too close to what is behind me. It's great. It's great for a quick look. But the minute I put it into drive, that picture disappears. And I have to look forward at where I'm going. God is telling the Israelites here, let's take a quick look in the rearview mirror at what I've done for you in the past. But then I want you to look forward. I want you to look forward to see where you're going. Why? So you don't miss it. He doesn't want them to miss what he's getting ready to do. Does anybody remember blockbuster videos? Anybody old enough? Yeah. So we loved blockbuster video when we were raising our kids. It was like Friday night, right? We went to blockbuster. We all went in. Everybody picked out their movies for, that we wanted to watch on the weekend. And then we'd go home and we'd watch them. And they were always due back like in two days. I never hit the return date. And Wayne, they'd be on the kitchen counter and like five days later, Wayne would be taking them back and he would, it's bringing back such good memories. <laughs> and Wayne would say to me, um, you know, we could have bought those videos for what I just paid the late fees for, right? I heard it every single week. And um, we just loved Blockbuster video. And they had over 9,000 stores, uh, sticks and, you know, uh, brick building, the real thing, not virtual. 9,000 stores, and they were at the peak of their success. But things were changing. Consumer preferences were starting to go a different direction. People wanted something different, and um, there was new technology emerging at the time. And there was this new startup New kid on the block, Netflix. And baby Netflix comes into Blockbuster to the corporate offices and meets with the COO, and they're like, this is what's happening. There's new things ahead of us. People are wanting something different, and they want a different method of delivery, and the technology's coming up right beside of it, and things are gonna look different, and so we wanna partner with you. Let's come together and let's create this new company that does this new thing. And Blockbuster literally laughed them out of the office. Instead of looking forward, Blockbuster continued to deliver and rent movies just the way they always had. They doubled down on their old ways of doing it. Ten years later, Netflix became the largest 
source for streaming videos, and Blockbuster declared bankruptcy. And I think they have one building left, one store left. Blockbuster missed it. And God does not want the Israelites to miss what's ahead. He doesn't want them to miss what's coming just because they can't perceive it. Just because it's too big for their minds to imagine it, he doesn't want them to miss it. And so in verse 19, he says, and I put this down in a different translation for us, see, I am doing a new thing. This was the verse that was life-changing for me. God gave me this verse when I desperately wanted and was seeking for a fresh anointing on my life. The word see means to perceive. It means to understand. God is saying, understand this. Pay attention. Notice. I'm doing a new thing. And that word doing is a present tense verb. Doing means that God is telling his people, I'm in the process of getting it done. Even as Isaiah speaks to you, even as Isaiah is sharing with you to see I am doing a new thing, I'm actually doing it. It's in process. You see, we spend the majority of our lives unaware of what God's doing. Maybe you feel like the psalmist in chapter 13 this morning, and he is crying out, how long, Lord? Maybe your wilderness thing has just been so long, and it feels like there's no end to it. And you're saying, Lord, will you forget me forever? Am I just stuck in this place? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? The psalmist is on the verge of despair. His endurance is almost gone. And he doesn't realize at that moment that God was in the process of doing a new thing. If you read the book of Lamentations, it will give you a real bird's eye view as to how despondent the, the Israelites were feeling during this captivity. Have you ever asked God, how long? Have you ever said to him, just how much longer? I'm so tired. I'm so weary. I see you doing this over here in this person's life, and you're moving over here, and new things are happening over there in, in this other person's life, Lord. How long till this is over? Because sometimes the in-between, the waiting is the most difficult part. As Isaiah is reporting this to the Israelites, God was doing a new thing. He was in the process at that moment of making a new way. You see, they, don't, they can't see the big picture that God sees. And there was another king of another country, Cyrus, the King Cyrus, and God was already speaking and wooing King Cyrus, who was going to invade Babylon, and they would triumph. And when they triumphed, that king's heart was already getting moved towards setting the Israelites free. But they didn't know that. And so this morning, I want to encourage you that your new thing is quite possibly already in progress. You have to trust God. You have to listen 
carefully to him. You have to spend time with him. You have to trust him. You have to say, Lord, help my unbelief. You have to believe that he is doing a new thing and that he is working on your behalf in whatever situation you find yourself in this morning. You can take courage in knowing this, that your current situation is not always the clear indicator of what God is doing. You just can't see it. You have to have faith and trust that he's working. Now, I don't know about you, but another barrier for me is I can spend too much time focusing on how God is going to do it. I might start seeing glimpses of his hand moving in my life, and that's true to my story today. I was seeing glimpses of movement, and I knew something was up. I knew God was starting to do a new thing in my life, but I started focusing on how he was going to do it. We try to do God's job, don't we? Somehow we, we just think we can do a better job, <laughs> that we know more than he does. But God, before God showed Wayne and I his plan for us to come to Sydney, Ohio, and to launch the new campus, I did sense that he was calling us back into ministry. And we did sense uh, we could see some things happening, and we thought it would be to Ohio. But I imagined what the rest of it would look like through my limited experiences. You see, I was planning it all out how I thought it should go. And I was looking through that rearview mirror. So when the valley called and they asked us, would we even pray about, consider, start conversation about launching a new valley campus, my first response was, no, that's not what I do. God told the Israelites, and he says to us, I'm getting ready to do a new thing in your life. But don't expect it to look like the old thing. <clears throat> Excuse me. We spend so much time looking back at the old that we miss what God is doing with the new. Don't expect it to look like it did the first time because this time it's going to look different. Don't limit your expectations of what God can do in the future based on what God can do in the past, what he has done in the past. Verse 19 says, now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and a stream and streams in the wasteland. And I absolutely love that verse. He is making a way in the wilderness because the wilderness feels like a place you can't get out of on your own. And the wasteland is dry and deserted and lifeless. And the streams represent water, living water. It represents a new thing and hope. And God is a way maker in the wilderness. If you find yourself in that place this morning, he's the one that has the way out in that foreign place, in that uncharted territory, if you can't find your purpose or you feel like life is upside down right now and you can't find your way, he's the way maker. He makes the way when it seems like there is no way. He can part the waters. 
He can create water to quench that thirst in a desert. He does the impossible. And what he showed me with my ever-planning mind and wanting to know what something's going to look like and how it's going to turn out and, and make sure that it's going to be the right thing and on and on and on, he said to me, you don't have to know how because you know who. We don't have to know how when we know who. And so this morning, I just want to ask you to think about and to reflect what might be the barrier that's stopping or slowing down or preventing you from the new thing that God wants to do in your life. He, at this very moment, may be ready to move you on out of that wilderness, out of that place in your life, and he wants to do a new thing. But what's stopping you from seeing what God is doing? Are you like me? Do you try to tell God how to do it? Maybe you're just so busy right now, he's waiting. He wants to move you out, but you're so busy that you're not listening to him. You don't even know what the next right step is that he wants to show you that will start you on your way. Some of us were focused on that rearview mirror. It's really hard to do a new thing when all we can think about is the past. Some of us, we expect the new thing to look like the old thing. And I think God is wanting to say in that scripture, listen, I did the, this old thing in the past, and I'm getting ready to do the new thing, and the new thing is going to be greater than anything that I've done. And for some of us, there's something old in our lives that needs to be dealt with, before the new thing can start. Some of us, it could be sin that we need to deal with and come right before God and surrender our lives to him. Confession may be needed. Is God calling you? You may be a follower of Christ and you're like, I don't know what the roadblock is. I don't know why this new thing isn't happening. Maybe he needs you to wholly, fully surrender your life to him. Maybe there's an area you're holding back on. And he's waiting for you to consecrate your life to him so that he can do the new thing in your life and that he can use you to do new things in your life. My time in the wilderness was not wasted. I look back on it now and I realize that God was working the whole time. He was working on the new thing and he was working within me he used that time for emotional healing. He used that time for spiritual growth. He used that time to strengthen our marriage. And I can look back and see how he had already begun setting the new thing in motion. And so this morning, I just want to encourage you. I want to remind you that even in your darkest hour, no matter how dark, no matter how bleak that it feels this morning, that God is moving and working on your behalf. And the God that we serve today, he is the same God who delivers his people from the enemy. 
And so whatever the enemy is in your life or the enemy in your life, God is still in the business of defeating him. And he's still in the business of making a new way for his people. Isn't that good news? I think you're all, I I think this week as you go about your week, I think you're going to run into people in your life that need to hear this word. Maybe you need to hear it right now, but I also think there's people in your life that needs to hear the word that God is the way maker, that he is the one who watches over us, protects us, and is with us and never leaves us when we're in the wilderness. We're never left alone. He is always by our side and that he wants to do a new thing. People need to hear that hope. People need that hope. This morning, we are going to receive communion together. And you don't have to be a member of the Valley Church to receive communion. You just have to be a follower of Christ. We have communion stations up front here on both sides. And as we sing this next song, um, while we're singing, I just want you to come forward out of your seats and get the bread and the cup and take it back to your seat. And you can take it, you can receive it anytime you're ready. But before you do, I want you to do a couple of things. I want you to remember, I want you to look back. I want you to remember who God is. I want you to remember what he did for you on the cross. And I want you to remember what he's done for you in the past, how he's brought you through. But then I want you to move forward. I want you to look forward and I want you to ask him, Father, what's the new thing that you want to do in my life? Where are you moving? Where are you working? Is there something in me where I'm missing it or you need me to do something? Show me what that is. Because I believe in that time of reflection, he will show you. Let's thank him for what he's doing in our lives this morning. And I'll come back up later and I'll close us in prayer. But let's just worship, let's sing, let's receive communion, and let's just respond to what the Father has to say. Thanks for joining us today. To stay up to date with our weekly messages, make sure to subscribe and follow us on social media. You can check us out on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or download our app today to stay connected with all things The Valley. And if today's message impacted you or changed your life, share it with a friend. Because changed lives change lives.